All right, so this week, people all over America will eat a lot of turkey. And turkey is good. I love turkey. I think about the uh, dad on the Christmas story, right? He's a turkey fiend, but he lost his turkey to the bumpus dogs. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about in that movie, but turkey is good. Thumbs up for turkey, right? Yeah, we're going to eat a lot of it this week. In fact, on average, Americans combine to eat about 46 million turkeys on Thanksgiving Day alone. Anybody feel bloated just hearing that? That is a lot of birds, right? And Americans also eat a lot of cranberry sauce. Thumbs down. I don't understand the love of this. On Thanksgiving, Americans eat over 5 million pounds of jellied cranberry, which is enough to fill nearly eight Olympic-sized swimming pools. Again, thumbs down. I'm working hard to reverse this trend to something that's a little bit more rational. But another thing that's going to happen this week is people everywhere are going to stop what they're doing and for the first time in 365 days actually try to think about what they are thankful for. Maybe you go around the table. I grew up doing that. We still do that with Candace's family. We go around the table taking turns to reflect on what we're thankful for, what brings us gratitude. And for just a few fleeting moments, we remember just how blessed we are. But then it fades very quickly. Cue the chaotic music. It's time to shift, and it's Black Friday. Any Black Friday shoppers in here? Oh, wow. Somebody's lying. Okay. (laughs) Then it's Black Friday. Everything gets crazy. And from Black Friday to Christmas morning, we shift our thoughts from blessings and feeling like we have enough to buying and consuming and collecting and accumulating all of our things because I need more and I need more. And look at that sale. You can't beat that. I've got to accumulate more and more. And if we're honest with ourselves, we think... Uh, Most of us need a lot to be satisfied in life. We need a lot of things to be satisfied. And we accumulate more and more thinking that one day I'm finally going to have enough. But it never seems to get there. Right? If you just need more and more and more to feel like you have enough, you're probably never going to get there. You'll get to that place and then you're just going to need more and more to feel satisfied. And we struggle with contentment. We struggle with contentment, to be content. See, where gratitude and thankfulness are admirable traits, I think contentment stands alone as this sort of like elusive superpower that most of us struggle to ever grasp. And Paul writes about this in Philippians. He wrote this letter to the Philippian church, and he said that he had learned the secret of how to be content, the secret of contentment in any and all kinds of circumstances. So what does it mean to be content? Tony Evans says it this way. He says, contentment means being satisfied and at rest with where God has you, despite what's happening around you. Being satisfied and at rest with where God has you, despite what's happening around you. And the Apostle Paul talked about this secret of commitment or contentment while he was imprisoned, while he was facing the darkest of circumstances 
when he wrote to the Philippians. If you want to follow along or uh, look ahead in our notes, we're going to be in chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing, uh, facing plenty and facing hunger, abundance and need, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have learned to be content. I can be content and at peace and satisfied and at rest because Jesus has empowered me to rely on him alone for satisfaction and for joy in my life. And Paul says, I appreciate your concern and your compassion, but don't be mistaken. I am lacking nothing. Whether I'm in a jail cell, whether I'm uh, receiving punishment and pain, I've learned the secret to be content in even the worst of circumstances. Because in Christ, all things are possible, even being joy-filled and at peace in this current pain. See, Paul had learned to be content, and his contentment came from Jesus. Contentment in Christ is not contingent upon any outside circumstances or factors or anything that's happening around you. It's not based on your profit. It's not based on your gain. To be content in Christ is to say, in him I have all that I will ever need, and I am lacking nothing. That verse, Philippians 4.13, is one of the most misquoted verses in the entire Bible. Probably one of the most popular verses, aside from John 3.16. Right? Everybody wears it on their, uh, their eye black or has it on a coffee cup. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Usually it's athletes and competitors who think, if I can just quote this verse or write it in black on my face, I'll be unstoppable because God cares more about me winning than the rest of these losers. Right? If I have this written on my face, you can't stop me. God's going to care about me a little bit more. But think about it. More than athletic competition or contests, what takes exponentially more strength than competing on a field for a trophy is being content in my soul when I feel like I have very little to be happy about. To feel content and at peace in my soul when I have Jesus and nothing else. That's what takes real strength. That's the miracle that Paul is talking about here. Right? Most of the time we pray, God, give me the strength to accomplish what I want to accomplish for myself. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's for our glory. And if it all works out, I'll declare this verse that it was through you that I succeeded. But how often are we changing our prayers to pray something more like this? God, win or lose in plenty and in nothing, in the highs and in the lows. If I'm going to be content and find joy in the valleys, I need you to intervene. It's only through you that hope in the dark feels possible at all. This is because contentment is so hard 
to grasp. That's why Paul used that kind of language that through Jesus, I can accomplish something even as miraculous as feeling content and joyful when it seems impossible. Right? This is bigger than winning a college football game or passing a test in your school. Paul's talking about a greater victory here. That through Christ, I can have the strength to be content when it makes no sense to be content. He's talking about victory in suffering and victory in terrible circumstances. Not because I'm strong enough to be content, but because I'm leaning on the one who is strong enough. And it's through him that I can say, just like King David in Psalm 23, that I have all that I need. I have my good shepherd, and he guides me, and if I have him, I lack nothing. Contentment is a miracle to find in these situations. Benjamin Merkel says that Paul was able to rejoice while in prison is nothing short of a miraculous gift given supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I have faced the greatest of needs. I've been hungry, I've been poor, and I have been broken, but I can be content in Christ. And through him, this peace and this satisfaction and this contentment is possible. Paul experienced immeasurable amounts of pain and sorrow and misfortune after he accepted the call to follow Christ. Check out some of what happened. This is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, all kinds of danger, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Paul says, I've been through it all. Most of us don't have a list like that, right? Compared to Paul, my life has been pretty great, pretty easy. I've not experienced most of this. But Paul says, I've been through it all. I sacrificed everything to leave the old me behind and follow Jesus. And I've been through pain and hardship and sorrow. But Paul knew the secret, the secret to be content. It's found in Christ. See, when our joy is rooted in a firmer foundation that's more solid and more compelling than our circumstances and, and the things that surround us, when our joy is rooted in Christ, our joy does not wane, nor does our security fade when things get dark. And Paul understood this, that contentment in Christ was contentment in something that was unchanging, something that was eternal, something that was always going to support him. As Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Forever and always. Eternally unchangeable, never to be shaken. That's what we place our joy in. That's what we place our hope in. Paul was at peace with his circumstances because he didn't rest his hopes on what was surrounding him. Instead, all of his hope was rested on God. 
the unchanging one, the one he could trust in all circumstances. So how do we learn to be content in all things? How can we bring ourselves closer to the state of contentment in Christ that we're talking about? A few things this morning. The first one is this. We find contentment when we rid our lives of idols. We find contentment when we rid our lives of idols. Now, you may have never felt this sense of contentment before, right? That all is well, because the truth is you treasure and worship things above Jesus. And you're really worshiping things with your life that can't bring you the lasting joy that you're looking for. Let me ask you a question this morning. Time for everybody to uh, do some inner searching here. Be honest with yourself about this, okay? What is it that you feel like you need in order to have lasting joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in your life? Seriously, think about it. What is it that you think you have to have? What do you need in your life to have joy, security, and fulfillment? Do you need a safe amount of money to be happy and secure? Write a certain number in that savings account. Maybe you feel like you have to be married or you just need a romantic relationship. If I could just have that one thing, then I would be happy. Then I would have joy. Maybe it's kids. You think if I could just have children, then I'll be set up to be content and finally have joy. Or if I could just have that one job. For some of you, it might be a career opportunity. If I could just have that one job, I'd finally be satisfied, or that vehicle, or that house, or whatever it might be. Whatever you can fill that blank in with, it is probably an idol in your life. And idolatry will always keep you from contentment. See, an idol is anything in your life that you look to for security and joy outside of God and above God. Idols are things that we give a God-like weight to in hopes that they'll bring us what only God can really bring our souls. If you struggle to be content, to be happy and satisfied where you are, you probably, without even knowing it, have been worshiping idols with your life, placing God-like importance and weight on things that cannot deliver, that cannot support the weight of your soul. The problem with a lot of these idols is most of the time, they're good things, right? They're things that we've been blessed with. It's the things, the very same things that I'm going to say I'm thankful for next week. A lot of times it is the best things in our life. See, it isn't bad to want a spouse or to want kids or to look for a promotion for the well-being of your family, but we try to make good creations our source of joy over the creator, right? J.D. Greer says all the time that idolatry often happens when we make a good thing into a God thing. When we take something he created to be good and we give it God-like weight and worth. See, my marriage with my amazing wife, it's a good thing. I love my wife. She's great. I got to watch her graduate from nursing school yesterday. Super excited for that. Yeah, give her a round of applause. I love my wife and my marriage is awesome and I love Candace so much. But when I look to Candace 
to give me eternal joy and fulfillment where I should be seeking it from God, my marriage is not going to deliver. Candace is going to let me down. And she knows I'm going to let her down. It happens all the time. See, Candace, as amazing as she is, and your spouse, as amazing as they are, they've never been meant to support the weight of your soul. Right? That's too big a task to give them. And so many of you are looking to your marriage to bring you this lasting joy and security in a spot where God's supposed to fill that. Your spouse was never meant to support the weight of your soul in any attempts to place those expectations on my wife, on something that's not anything that's not God, everything's going to collapse. See, my state of contentment can't be contingent upon my wife because she's going to let me down and I'm going to let her down. And I can't look to my marriage to uh, support the weight of my soul and give me what I'm supposed to be finding in God. Only one thing remains solid and steady. That thing is Jesus Christ. So identify and kill these idols in your life because they're going to leave you in despair. And that thing that you thought was going to deliver all of that joy to you, it's going to let you down. See, imagine if Paul had made idols of security and warmth and a steady lifestyle that was easygoing. If those were things that he prized more than God, then he would have been miserable in this situation and he would have been unable to be content. But God was on the throne of his life. God was number one. The primary thing was in the primary spot, and everything else fell below that. If he treasured warmth and security more than God, he would not have been able to say, I understand how to be content in these circumstances. But God was on the throne of his life, and God mattered more than having a safe place to sleep. See, we need to hold God supreme above all other things to find ourselves content in just Him. This means identifying and throwing away our idols. Find that area of idolatry in your life and do whatever you can to offer that to God and to kill that thing. Put Jesus back on the throne as number one, as the primary thing in your life. The second thing we do, we find contentment in Christ when we see him as all to be gained. We find contentment in Christ when we see him as all to be gained. Jesus is the treasure we gain by following him. He is the prize and he is the goal. See, we we follow Jesus to gain more of him, not to gain anything else. And it's hard for us to hold Christ as most valuable when we're surrounded by church culture in America that holds Christ to gain valuables, right? People who don't hold Christ as most valuable, they hold on to Christ because they think it's going to take them to more valuables. The church is fighting infections of a false prosperity gospel that teaches us that Jesus is the key to open the door to wealth and prosperity and gain. And we will never truly be content in Christ alone when we see Jesus as a means to an end and not the prize himself. 
Jesus is the prize to be gained. He is not to be used to gain something else. That is backwards theology, my friend. This is exactly what Paul is saying in his letter to the Philippians, that Jesus is enough. I may hunger and thirst and bleed and weep, but Jesus is better than food. He is the bread of life to sustain my soul. I may thirst, but he is the living water that quenches the strongest desires of my soul. I don't need anything except Jesus. In him, I am content. See, to have Jesus is to have the greatest treasure and gift we could ever dream of. See, the truth is when we see Jesus as a means to gain other treasures, we're robbing ourselves of true riches. Jesus is not the means to other riches. Jesus is the richest of riches himself. Whatever you think may be worthy of pursuit in your life, I can promise you, Jesus is better. Jesus is the best thing you could ever gain. Jesus is supreme. He is enough for my soul to be content. I love the story in the Old Testament of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As VeggieTales says, uh, uh, Rackshack and Benny. That's how I like to call them. VeggieTales played an important and formational role in my upbringing. So uh, (laughs) I I love this story of Rackshack and Benny, right? They worshiped God in a period of exile in Babylon under the harsh rule of King Nebuchadnezzar in a culture that was hostile towards God, the God of the Israelites. And they were told to worship idols set before them by the nation of Babylon, and they refused. So the king told them that rebelling one more time would cost them their lives, and they'd be thrown in the furnace. And I love the response they gave the king when asked what they would do about this. Huge mic drop moment here, okay? It says, Rackshack and Benny answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, do what you want. Throw us where you will. We have nothing to lose because we have God. We already have the most valuable treasure and prize that we're ever going to have. And he is all that we need. See, others may have everything to lose in this fiery furnace, but what we treasure the most cannot be taken away from us. That fire in the furnace can consume us, but our hearts are already consumed with a greater fire. We have God, and he owes us nothing. We have everything in him. See, if following Jesus uh, meant guaranteed persecution, think about this for a moment. If following Jesus meant your life would be filled with persecution and a lifetime of hurt, would you still choose to follow him? I mean, be honest with yourself. Because the truth is, if you wouldn't, then it's probably never been about just having God and gaining Jesus for you. 
This has probably just been a security blanket, something that you thought would make your life easier. Jesus is not revered as the treasure in your life that he truly is. You haven't yet seen that in gaining him, you have everything. In gaining him, I count everything else as a loss. Because when I gain in him, simply being in communion and relationship with God far outweighs anything bad that can happen in my life. I want to challenge you this morning to not be a spiritual pirate. Don't be a spiritual pirate. Don't be a spiritual pirate that sees Jesus as a map to gain further treasure. Jesus is not your map taking you to a better thing. Jesus is the better thing. Simply bask in the wealth that you've gained in following Jesus, in receiving Jesus, declaring him Lord of all. Jesus is not to be used to gain something else. That's backwards. There's nothing better than him. Don't be a spiritual pirate. Jesus is not your map to find the treasure. Jesus is the treasure himself. See, most of us try to make God an accomplice in our idolatry. Right? I need this thing. I've got to have this thing. God, will you please give it to me so I can worship this thing above you? I mean, we don't use those words, but that's what we're doing in our hearts. We try to use God as an accomplice in our idolatry using him as the means to attain something that we really desire more than him. See, all the things of this world, anything you could pursue with your life, the harder and the more fiercely you pursue those things, the more disappointed you're going to be in the end because you were chasing the wrong thing. Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the treasure. He is what your soul is longing for, to have community with the creator. Jesus is it. He isn't the launching pad into further riches. He is the riches. To be content in the depths of my soul, to really in the worst of circumstances be content and satisfied and at peace I need to value God as the ultimate treasure to gain. Because in him, I really lack nothing. I already have the best thing. This might sound hard and impossible to change our perspective to see Jesus as the only thing to gain. That leads us to our uh, final point today. So that we find the secret of contentment when we see life through the lens of eternity. We find the secret of contentment when we see life through the lens of eternity. To be so okay with hunger, with persecution, with lacking material things, that's a hard thing for us to do. The only way for this to be possible is to shift our perspective, to remember that there's so much more than right now. See, God's goodness is not contingent upon a few years on this earth, what I've been given and what's been taken away from me. There's so much more than the right now. We can endure life with confidence when we know that the painful moments of this world are just temporary. They're going to leave us. They're, they're going to pass one day. See, we've been promised a kingdom that stretches into eternity when we leave the temporary things of this earth. 
When we truly believe this, and we think this is true, that there is something beyond this world, then we can smile when these trials stand against us. Because my joy is built on something eternal. This world is going to pass away. What I find my joy in is eternal, and I'm going to have him beyond this life. This pain will be gone in an instant like a vapor. It's going to rise and disappear, but Jesus will remain the same. That's where I've placed my joy, and that's where I've placed my hope. Paul, just before writing about contentment in this letter to the Philippians, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How many of us can actually say that? To live is Christ. To die is gain. I don't fear death. In other words, keep me alive and every effort will be given to the kingdom of God. But to die only brings me closer to my king. I win either way. You can do what you want with me. To live is to live, to glorify God. To die is to be with him forever. You have nothing to take away from me. Take this world away from me. You've not taken anything that really matters. See, we have no record of Paul praying for an easier life in any of these epistles. But records of him just acknowledging his need for deeper dependence on Jesus. To empower him, to endure and to press on and to be content when things are hard. So maybe you're praying for the wrong things in the worst times of your life. Maybe more than just praying for an easier road, you need to ask for the strength to lean into God, to trust him even in the bad seasons, to be content in Christ alone. Charles Spurgeon said one of my favorite quotes ever. He said, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I've learned to embrace with a smile the troubles of this life that help me to rely on the rock that I can trust with my life. We suffer with a smile when we know that this is just a blip in the grand scheme of eternity. This is just a small amount of time. It's going to be gone just like a vapor rising in the air. It's going to be gone soon. To God in this moment of life that feels so long and troublesome, remind me that this is just a rising vapor. Soon it's going to be gone and you will remain. See, when we live life with eternity in mind, we can be content because we know what matters most can never be taken from us. We have something to look forward to. I was talking about uh, contentment with Brett Harbaugh the other day. And he started talking about how contentment is possible when we look beyond the life right now. And he was talking about Paul's attitude. And I'm going to quote Brett Harbaugh here. He says, Whenever I'm sailing on a boat, or whether I'm sailing on a boat or rotting in a jail cell, my contentment comes from Jesus' finished work in my place. Jesus dying on the cross for my sins raising from the dead, and Jesus eternally sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Because this is true, no matter how bad life is in this world, it will only be better in eternity. And just like we can't take our worldly possessions to eternity, our pain and our grief and our disappointment and our hurt and our sadness 
those things won't follow us there either. We will one day be where there is no pain, no sorrow, and no hurt. And I believe that what we gain as we step away from this world into eternity with God, it's going to be so beautiful and great and glorious that we never even look back to say, God, what about that pain in my life? I think the question we're going to ask is, what pain? Because what we will have gained will be so much greater in comparison. And I don't say that, I'm not trying to minimize any of the pain or sorrow or tragedy that you faced in your life. I just think heaven is going to be that great that we're not going to look back and be asking those questions anymore. It's simply going to be, what pain? Because look how glorious and beautiful and perfect this all is. I'm not so worried about that small little blip in eternity where I was hurting. We need to see our lives through a broader lens, through the lens of eternity, to be content in the circumstances on this earth. The secret to being content is to have and behold Jesus. And Paul talked about this secret. The secret to being content is to have Jesus. So this is a secret that we can all share. You have what it takes to be content in this life if you have Jesus. Just to recap as we close and and the band can go ahead and make their way up here. We find true contentment when we rid ourselves of idols. When we take the idolatry out of our lives, the things that we think we need outside of God to have joy and security, we need to rid our lives of those idols. Secondly, we need to value Jesus as supreme treasure. We need to see God as all to be gained. He isn't the means to something that we crave more, right? He is meant to be the one desire that we give all of our affections to. Don't be a spiritual pirate using Jesus to gain more treasure. Jesus is the treasure. And then lastly, we view our lives through the lens of eternity. We know that there is more. And we're confident because of what God has promised us is to come. And because we know that this life is is just short and we have eternity to look forward to, we can be content in all things. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I want to challenge you this morning first of all, to think about what you are so thankful that God has done in your life. Think about where he's provided for you, where he has taken you from one place to another. What has God done for you? Give him thanks for that this morning. I want to challenge you to ask God for the strength to be content. Paul was right in making this sound like it was a miracle. It's this secret that so many of us miss in life. It's only through the strength of Christ that I can say all is well when things really are not all 
well. But when we have Jesus, when we're relying on him, when all of our dependence is on him, we can say everything is okay. I have all that matters. Ask God this morning for the strength to be content, to be happy and satisfied and at rest with where God has you despite your surroundings. Lastly, I want to ask that you would think about eternity for a minute. We can be content when we look through the lens of eternity, when we know we have something greater to look forward to. The Bible says that 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 great thing that we can look forward to, it's for all who would believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus. If we ask for salvation from him, if we put our faith and trust in what he's done for us, we can be saved. We can be reconciled back to a relationship with God. We can spend all of eternity with him. Maybe you've never looked through the lens of eternity and you've not thought about eternity with God. I want to ask you to respond this morning to whatever God's laid on your heart. Maybe you feel him pulling you towards himself. Maybe you're realizing his love for you and how great he is. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, it's the most prized thing in your soul. I want to encourage you to accept that call receive Christ as Savior this morning. You can pray along with me. It's not a magic prayer. You don't have to say this word for word, but you could say something like this in your heart to accept Christ this morning. You can say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that. I know my sin has separated me from you. But I believe that Jesus did all it took to reconcile me back to you. That in his finished work on the cross, my sins have been forgiven. And he's made me righteous. I put my faith and trust in what he's done on the cross. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you prayed that this morning. I would just ask you to take that connection card in your pew, write on that card, I chose Jesus, or I'm following Jesus. One of the pastors here at CBC would love to talk to you more about that decision, about what it looks like to follow Jesus, and we'd love to just walk alongside you as you go through that. I want to ask you to stay in a mode of gratitude towards God as we continue to sing this morning, that you would really worship with your hearts, that you would lift up praise and rejoice, thanking God for all he's given you, all he's provided you with. Let's let this worship this morning just be so saturated in gratitude and thankfulness.